It's great to worship a God who's sovereign and majestic and above all, and we're reminded of that this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Pastor Julio, for the invitation uh, to be here and to speak, and especially to conclude uh, the series on the great book of Acts. Uh, it took great faith in you to allow me to, uh, to wrap up the series for you guys. Um, but good morning, Calvary. I am David Chan, and it's so good to see you all. Good to see some familiar faces and a lot of people that maybe we've never met before. I look forward to getting to know you as time allows. Um, it's such a joy to be back, and there's so many great uh, feelings, you know, feelings of, of fond memories and new excitement all mixed together. Uh, our daughters were baptized here in this baptistry uh, many years ago. Our, our, our little Andrew was six years old when we left the valley uh, about 10 years ago and have gone in, uh, on a kind of a world tour that the Lord has taken us on. And now we're back here uh, for an opportunity to be, to be back on staff with you all uh, as the Lord leads. And it, it's just been uh, such a great thing, to, such a great feeling to be welcomed back. And I get to preach about home away from home. Uh, and yet this feels like a homecoming for, for me uh, coming back to Calvary. So I, I, I'll enjoy sharing uh, about this as we go through, through the message. <clears throat> so we're going to pick up the story today in the final chapter of Acts, uh, in Acts 28. And yet as we look at this final chapter as it's written in our Bibles, we're going to see that Luke, the author of Acts, actually leaves the door open that the book doesn't really end uh, in the way that you and I might think a, a book ends. Uh, most books of the Bible kind of have a, a good closure to it, and the book of Acts will have an interesting conclusion uh, that will tie us into uh, the story. Uh, one of the things I love about the book of Acts is it's the story of the birth of the church. It's the birth of the movement that you and I, 2,000 years later, are a part of today. You know, many people like to do, uh, you know, DNA research and, and ancestry research these days because you like to know where you came from, uh, and it really informs a lot of who you are. Uh, for example, for me, I'm a, I'm a Mexican-American with Chinese background, uh, which is kind of a weird mix, right? It's, it's a very unique mix. But it, it's interesting to find out more about my past, and it helps inform who I am and who I'm becoming. And I think the book of Acts is important for all of us as followers of Jesus, because it tells us about our past. It, it informs our DNA as who we are the, as the church going forward into the future. So I hope you're finding personal encouragement in the book of Acts. And I hope that as a church, we're also finding that it's informing us in terms of who we are and who God wants us to be. So we pick up the story here in Acts 28:11. After three months in Malta, uh, these, these have been three months that might have seemed wasted, might have seemed like a deviation off course after that storm and the shipwreck, but God in his kingdom uses everything. He uses everything for our good and for his glory. And those three months in Malta, a church is established, uh, great relationships are formed, uh, nothing is wasted when it comes to the kingdom of God. But after that time, it's about early spring now, kind of maybe this time of year for us as well, and they board a ship that is headed to Sicily and then on to Italy, where Paul meets the first believers in Rome. They heard he was coming, and they had heard about some of his trials. For Paul, coming to Rome was a long, hard journey. Uh, how many of you can, can feel like maybe the last year has been a long, hard journey uh, for many people, or, or maybe even other times in your life? And here we see that that Paul's coming to Rome is difficult, but God is with him. God is using everything on that journey until he arrives. 
It's been several years uh, before Paul had this vision many years ago, and he wrote, to, uh, he wrote from Corinth about his plans to come to Rome. Uh, and now, finally, it's coming true. So the people understand this, and they're coming to meet him. It tells us in verse 15 of Acts 28, as you see here, that the brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Uh, this isn't just Luke's storytelling. He's telling us a couple of really important things here. Uh, first of all, he tells us that Paul is meeting these believers from Rome for the first time, and he thanks God for them. Uh, to, that, to, to Paul, he is, every story in Christ is important. Every believer is significant. And he also is encouraged by them, even though they'd never met before. Uh, they encouraged Paul as he arrived from that long, hard journey. Uh, every believer's story is significant. Every believer we meet can encourage us. Uh, no matter where God has taken us around the world, it's been such a privilege to be able to meet brothers and sisters from all over the world. And you know what's amazing? As soon as you meet another believer somewhere around the world, you may speak a different language, you may have different upbringings, different backgrounds, but the Spirit of God in you connects with the Spirit of God in them, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. It creates a brotherhood and sisterhood uh, that, that is unmatched and unrivaled anywhere else. And I, so I see this. I can see why Paul said, as soon as I met these Roman Christians, I was encouraged by them, and I thank God for them. Uh, we do that for each other with believers around the world. We have that instant bond in the Holy Spirit. And what we see here, too, is a truth that we can remember is that the kingdom of God is a huge global family. That we may all have our denominations, we may all have our local churches, but at the end of the day, we're part of a huge global family in Christ, and that is exciting. And we had this opportunity as we served for five years in the Republic of Georgia. We pastored an international church. It was a non-denominational international church in English. Um, we had about 150 people, but we had over 25 nationalities and various denominations worshiping together every Sunday. And we were able to do that because of our common bonds in Christ and our common need for one another. Uh, we saw amazing things that you don't see in the world. We had some Indians and Pakistanis sitting next to each other in the pews, praying for each other, loving each other. Two nations that outside the church are at war and intention and all this sort of thing. We saw that so many times, the truth that in Christ there is no barrier. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, that we can truly be one in Christ. So we see Paul experiencing this. He gets to Rome and he recognizes brothers and sisters were part of a global family in the kingdom of God. A couple other things is Luke points out actual places. You'll see here on the map, uh, on, this, on this Via Appia, on this road uh, to Rome that was constructed by the Roman Empire in order to make travel easier. You see these couple of places, the three taverns is a little bit covered there by the red dot, but you see the Forum of Appius. There's actually places there today. Uh, this is a factory at that intersection called the Three Taverns. Uh, there's actually an, uh, like a guest house at the place called the, the, Forum, the Forum of Appius. What I wanna show you about this is that these are real places and real people. This is real history. Uh, and God in his providence was working his plan through real places and real people. You know, it's easy for us sometimes, I think, to look at Bible history or what happened in the Bible as if it's some separate history, right, that happens in the church realm, in the spiritual realm. But God is always at work in real history, in real people, in real times. It may feel discouraging when we read what's going on in the news in the world around us. 
But let's be encouraged by this passage. God is at work in our history, in our story, uh, in real time. Uh, And just like he used the places of Rome then for his purposes, he will use the places in our world today to continue to spread his kingdom and to accomplish his purposes. So we come to verse 16. After they've met up, uh, then they, they, they meet with Paul outside of Rome. They make a little bit of a sacrifice to go out and meet him after his long sacrificial journey. And then they go to Rome together. And in verse 16, it says, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Again, here we see a really interesting thing that Paul is welcomed into the area, not only by the believers, but God allowed him to have favor with the Roman government. Even though he was a prisoner of Rome, waiting for some trials, uh, they, they allowed him to have his own house, to have his own space, to meet with people, to come and go, even though all along he's chained to a Roman soldier. But that chain for Paul, which is an obstacle, becomes an opportunity. Uh, because of that chain, he's able to spread the gospel through the Roman guard all the way into the palaces of Rome, as we find out in other parts of the New Testament. And that's another principle for us, for the kingdom of God, that every obstacle can be turned into an opportunity if we allow God to speak to it and to transform it. So Paul establishes his home in Rome. He finds favor from the Roman government to not be in a jail cell, but to actually uh, set up his own house. And he's excited. He's been looking forward to come to Rome. He knows what an influential city it is and what the gospel can do if it continues to grow there. What's interesting, though, when you look at Paul's story, is that his homes changed over time, right? He made home away from home, away from home, away from home. He had to constantly be changing his earthly address. Uh, In fact, we find that at the beginning of his story, way back, he's not Paul, but he's who? He's Saul, right? Saul of Tarsus. That's his original home residence. Then he spent some time in Jerusalem. He spent some time all over uh, Israel. And then later, as he becomes a missionary, him and Barnabas are actually based in Antioch. And Antioch becomes their home. They go on their missionary journeys and come back. They go and come back, and that's their home. But now we see him establishing a new home away from home in Rome. What's interesting about this, what we can learn, is he followed the principle of the church forefathers or the the Old Testament forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the faith, because these men learned to do something very important. They learned to pitch their tents and to build their altars. What do I mean by that? To pitch their tents meant that their their earthly homes were temporary for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were constantly just putting temporary homes. Why? Because God had given them a promise, right, that they would eventually have an eternal home, a permanent home in the place called the promised land. And they weren't going to settle for anything less. So they weren't going to establish too much somewhere else because they were waiting for that eternal home that was going to be far greater than anything they could build. And in the same way for us, we're promised that Jesus is building for us even now a home that will be our eternal home. And and so Paul learned that practice of pitching his tents, allowing his homes on earth to be temporary, but he built his altars just like the Old Testament fathers did. Uh, The places of worship, building the church, the things that build into the kingdom of God those things would last forever. And that is what they sought to establish on a permanent basis on earth. Pitched their tents and built their altars. Our home on earth is not permanent, but worship, 
of God is and will be permanent. Now, this doesn't mean we have to move around all the time, whether you've lived in one place all your life or in 20. Uh, Building our home, building our citizenship into the kingdom of God is what is going to last. And we need to learn to do that. We need to learn, like Paul, to find ways to build our home into the eternal home that we have in the kingdom of God. Uh, I've moved so many times, I can't even count them all. Maybe if I took enough time, I probably could count them. As a kid, we moved a lot with my family, living in Mexico and then back in the U.S. and back in Mexico uh, and several places in the U.S. Um, But as a married family, as a married couple, Christy and I, we've uh, been in at least 12 places uh, in about 23 years. Uh, and, And it's been a lot. It's been interesting. It's been difficult in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's shown me also how to hold lightly to this, this temporary home we call earth, or earth and present day at least, uh, and to focus on our heavenly citizenship, on the place that we belong for all time. I have just a, a few photos here of places where I've lived. Um, one of them is a, an apartment. I got a chance to go to, well, this is our, actually our current place. It's our home in Kansas. It's the parsonage of the, of the church where I am uh, currently the interim pastor. Kind of a very, you know, small town, Kansas home. Here's our home in Tbilisi, Georgia. It's an apartment like you would expect in a big, you know, global city. Uh, we were in one of those apartments there on the left. Uh, and then I also, as a kid, lived in an apartment in El Paso, Texas, which I had a chance to visit recently. Uh, that was the second floor apartment during my high school years. All these homes look very different, right? And they're in very different contexts. Uh, and yet, all along, uh, the Lord has taught me, wherever you are, you know, you, you pitch your tent and you build your altar. You know, you might live there temporarily, uh, but you live for the kingdom of God and you build into eternity. But again, it doesn't matter. If you live in one place all your life, you can still do the same thing as Paul did. You can live with a mindset that our earthly home is temporary, uh, that the kingdom of God is what will last forever. So that said, even though Paul learned to pitch his tents wherever he called home, he also learned to go deep, right? He wasn't satisfied with just having surface relationships wherever he was at. He went deep. He was fully present. And in fact, the churches were planted in those places because of a deep, strong relationship that Paul was able to to form with people along the way. And we see him begin to do that here in Rome as well. Uh, So as I think about maybe moving again and having a home, I'd love to have one place where I could settle in and go deep uh, and and have, you know, a place where multiple generations can be a part of. Uh, But at the same time, keeping in mind that we're always looking to build the eternal home, the family of God worldwide. So for us, it's exciting to be returning to the valley. Um, It's been an interesting place to think back on and think about our family history. It feels like home to us more than anywhere else. We actually had a house here for 10 years, which is the longest we've ever had a a place, I think, in one location. Um, And it feels similar to us, perhaps the way it felt to Paul, coming back to Antioch after his missionary journeys. Uh, I say that our kids grew up here, but in many ways, so did my family, so did we as a couple. We've learned a lot in ministry and marriage and parenting. Uh, we're still learning, uh, but we learned a lot during our, our, our years here in the Valley and our kind of our first launch into ministry. It also shaped our values. It shaped and equipped us for the mission that God called us to ahead. Uh, so while this is not our eternal home, we know that it's definitely our most well-known home. Uh, in the past few years, though, We've had to learn to set up homes away from home for the sake of the mission, even to the ends of the earth. And that's what we see Paul doing here in Acts. 
Uh, we see Paul setting up a home away from home for the sake of the mission. It's not just that he wanted to see Rome. It's not just that he wanted to, you know, rub shoulders with the, with the elite. Uh, he actually was driven by a mission. And that mission started way before Paul even became a Christian. Uh, the, his arrival in Rome was a dream come true for him. Uh, he had seen this vision two or three years before, but his dream was a small part of God's larger plan out of Acts 1.8 where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was God's plan. This is God's desire and it continues to work out. So he made this promise. He, he, God cast this vision before Paul even became a Christian, but he's invited into it and so his dream becomes part of God's mission. And I love that about God, that he, he, he allows our dreams, he takes our dreams and he says, how can they be part of my mission of making my glory known to all people, even to the ends of the earth? So Paul coming to Rome is a partial fulfillment of the ends of the earth. And let's see how that unfolded. If you look in your scripture there, we're not going to read it all verse by verse, but you'll see that from verses 17 to 27, this is Paul's typical pattern, uh, the way he did things when he arrived in a new place. So he begins with the Jewish community. He tries to reach out to those people with the same background, the same understanding as him, with some understanding of the Bible, the Old Testament. He meets with their people of authority in order to try to reach into their community. He does all the right things the right way. And we read that some people believe, but some don't. And so then he goes to the Gentiles, which was his next step. He would always then say, okay, well, the religious people had the first shot. Those people who knew, know the Old Testament had the first shot. Now I'm going to go to the Gentiles, those who don't know anything about this living God that we preach. Uh, and as he did that, he began to see so many people receive and experience it. We experienced something similar to this when we were in the country of Georgia. Uh, many of you may not have heard of the country of Georgia. We didn't hear about it, actually, until we actually had the opportunity to explore going there. But they have a very rich history. Uh, the Georgian people are very uh, hardy. They're strong. Uh, they go way back in history. Um, they have their own language, their own alphabet. It's one of 14 alphabets in the world, and they have one of them, even though it's only about four, four million Georgians. Um, and yet in this place, they have a, a deep history. They, they have an Orthodox Christian faith that goes all the way back to the fourth century. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the Orthodox Christians, but before they were Protestants, before they were Catholics, they were Orthodox. That's how far back they go. Uh, they're now the smallest branch of Christianity, but they're still existing from many, many centuries back. And they have a rich tradition. I'd like to show you a few, a few photos of this. Um, their churches, I mean, they're just big and majestic. Some of them are 1,000 years old. Uh, some of them are like 1,400 years old. We had a chance to be in some of these places uh, and to really witness the awe and kind of the, the wonder, the mystery uh, that for centuries they have carried on in this tradition. They also believe that in the first century, the apostle Andrew, Andrew, one of the 12 disciples, made it to Georgia. There's a photo of him. I don't think it was a selfie. I think it was a, uh, an artist's rendition of the apostle Andrew who went to Georgia and shared the gospel there for the first time. So they, are, they have ties to the Christian message, literally, that goes all the way back to the beginning. But you know what? What we discovered is that as you begin to share the good news of Jesus or talk about Jesus, talk about the Bible and how does that affect your life, it was foreign to them. 
because their religion was just a system, a tradition, part of culture, not a way of life, not something that actually affected the way I live, the way I do business, the way I treat my family, the tr way I treat my co-workers. They didn't really think about how it impacted them in a daily life. So many people were close to the gospel because they were just keeping their religious traditions. However, many internationals were there. People from all over the world come to Georgia, believe it or not. And, uh, and they're like the Gentiles that Paul talks about. They were hungry, they were open, they were willing to receive the message. I found this to be true, especially of people from Muslim countries, from Arab countries. There was a young man from Saudi Arabia who called me out of the blue one time because he found my number listed on our website. And he said, um, I'd like to meet with you. And you know, he's a Saudi young man. I'm an American, kind of in this third place. I'm a little cautious. I'm a little careful about what his intentions might be. Um, so we decided to meet, you know, in, in, in the best meeting place for Christian conversations. We met at a McDonald's, right? <laughs> uh, the international, that's now the international place of ministry, I guess. Um, there's a McDonald's everywhere. So we met in a good, safe place, started to talk, began to realize, wow, this guy is really legit. He had, he had come from Saudi Arabia on vacation because he wanted to come to a place where he could explore the message of Christ with freedom and with openness. Uh, so I gave him a Bible. I answered several questions. He had great questions. <laughs> it's, it's funny that people that come from outside a Christian worldview often have the best questions about Jesus and about the good news uh, and it was a pleasure trying to answer that for him. Several months later, he got baptized at another church and, and he was willing to go back to Saudi Arabia knowing that he was now, uh, his life would now be in danger as a follower of Jesus. I can imagine Paul having these kind of exciting conversations, right? With the people who are supposed to know the word and be able to respond to it, kind of being dead to it. But then those who had no clue about the word, being hungry to receive it. And to, and to start living a life with Jesus. Uh, that's what Paul experiences here. And he, but, it, but Paul gives us a warning at the end of that passage, verses 25 through 27. Paul speaks truth that hurts, but we need to hear it. Uh, because he tells these Jewish believers, or these Jewish uh, people who, had, who believed the Old Testament, but they didn't believe Christ, uh, he tells them that they're, they're hearing, but they can't understand. They're seeing, but they can't perceive because their hearts have become calloused and hardened. Now, it's easy for us to look at this and say, well, yeah, yeah, the, the Jewish Pharisees, they, they got hard, they got calloused, but it's a warning to us today, isn't it? Let's be careful that we continue to hear the word of God and respond. We continue to see what God does and join him. Uh, that we don't just sit on our history or our one-time decision to follow Jesus. We don't just sit on our tradition but we're constantly engaging the word of God, letting it refresh and speak and challenge and move us. Uh, that's what Paul says is the right response. It's a response of a heart that's open and that's hungry and that's willing uh, to do what God wants them to do. Um, so that's the kind of uh, encounters that Paul has. He has encounters with religious Jews. He has encounters with Gentiles. And in this, the kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is growing. But the key thing we see here as Paul says, it requires obedience. You have to respond to God. You can't just hear it and say, wow, that was a great message, all right, and then go your way. Uh, just like Jesus said, you have to hear the word, put it into practice, and then you're building your home on the rock. You're building your home uh, into the eternal kingdom of God. Uh, so let's not be like those first century Jews who would hear but not respond and not do what we were called to do. Uh, 
Uh, and the message of Acts has been clear. What is it that we're called to do? We're called to be disciples and to make disciples. We're called to obey and hear what the Lord is teaching us today and then be able to pass that on to somebody else. Uh, being discipled and continuing to disciple others uh, is what it means to be a thriving, living Christian. Uh, and we see that here in the book of Acts. So how does this book end? Acts chapter 28, it's the last book in my Bible. I don't know if you have any more in your Bibles, but I hope you don't, because Acts 28 is the end of the Bible. But look how Luke ends it in verses 30 and 31. He kind of doesn't really end it in some ways. It says this, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I'm looking there thinking, well, okay, what's next? It seems like, there's, seems like there should be more, right? That's not a conclusion, Luke. Come on. You know, you, you left us hanging. If you were watching a movie or a show, you'd be like, okay, I want to see the trailer for the next chapter. And then you find out there's no next season. And you think, oh, come on. Don't leave me there. In some ways, Luke kind of leaves us there. Uh, but I think we know why. Uh, some biblical scholars say that Luke was writing Acts just shortly after these events in Rome. So there's maybe not much more to report. This is, this is almost up to date in terms of Luke's writing of what's been happening. Uh, but even more importantly, we think, is that Luke wants to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is that the book of Acts is about the birth of the church. It's about the movement of the gospel, the good news. And so it's about evangelism. It's about us continuing to live that movement out day in and day out, evangelism and discipleship, everywhere we go. Uh, Christ has set out to save the world, and he's doing it, and he's inviting us to continue doing the same. So why does Luke end Acts 28 this way? I think it's because it's inviting us to continue the story. We become living chapters of Acts chapter 29, uh, we become the people who take up the mantle and say, okay, I'm not perfect at this, God, but I'm willing to represent your kingdom in this world. I'm willing to be discipled and make disciples in this world. Show me how, and I'll do it. And Luke leaves us with two nuggets here of, of what's essential. If we're going to be those people who continue Acts 29 in the world, he says, first of all, it's about the kingdom of God. That as Paul uh, ends his life, he is proclaiming the kingdom of God. Proclaiming is, a, is, is another word for, for uh, declaring, living out, not just with voice, but with life. Uh, and we're appealing to the heart, we're appealing to the will when it comes to proclaiming the kingdom of God. And the question becomes, how do you and I do that, right? Uh, do we live out kingdom of God principles in our workplace, in our families, in our neighborhoods? Uh, the principles are there for us to live out. It's just a matter of us saying, yes, we want to do it. We want to live for your kingdom, God, not just to build our own homes. Uh, so it's about living for the kingdom of God. How do we learn to do this? How do we look for it? Um, that's the that's ongoing part of our discipling journey. It's a new reality to discover this kingdom of God. Not, so as we discover it, we can live it. We can share it with the world around us. But the second thing Luke points out is that Paul was also not only uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God, but he was teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The Lord Jesus Christ, we are to teach him. We are to be taught constantly 
and to teach constantly. Uh, while proclamation appeals to the heart, teaching appeals to the mind. To how do we actually do this? How do we learn to grow as disciples? And it becomes very clear that it tells us that we have a Lord to follow and obey. We have a kingdom to live into and we have a Lord to follow and obey. So as we come to the end of Paul's story, yours and our story, yours and mine just begins. And that's exciting. We are part of the, the, the movement of God. Uh, we, our names might never go down in the Bible like Paul's names, and that's fine, that's good. That's probably even better. Because we get to be multiples of people, thousands of people living out the story of God, the continuation of Acts 29 in the world. We proclaim the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, how are you doing these things? Uh, th this is an opportunity now to just take a moment to examine our lives and say, Lord, am I really representing your kingdom uh, in the way I live? Is there an area of my life that maybe your kingdom is not influencing? Maybe I'm influenced by the world or by culture or by my tradition, uh, but I wanna be influenced by your way your better way, your kingdom way. I want people to see your way in the way I go about my life. And are you following and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you in a discipling relationship with other people, learning and giving to others? Uh, these are the opportunities that we have as we live out our lives, as we pursue our dreams, as we build our homes. God says, as you do these things, build my kingdom. Make disciples, and you're part of Acts 29, continuing the story of God's love and kingdom going around the world. Would you pray with me? God, there's so much here at the conclusion of Acts. There's so much, and yet at the same time, uh, there's so much left to be said, left to be written. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit invites us to continue the story. Uh, Lord, we don't feel capable. We often don't feel adequate, but that's okay. Lord, you, you call us to be humble. You call us to be uh, moldable, to allow you to shape us and move us. And so that's what we're saying this morning, God. Uh, Lord, we don't deserve to be part of your story, but you invite us into it. Uh, help us, God. Help us to know how to represent you in our work, in our family, in our neighborhood. Uh, help us to, to take on that title of being ambassadors for Christ, the representatives of your kingdom. Uh, and thank you, God, that you continue your story in our lives and you want to replicate that in those around us whom we love and we care for. Uh, so, Father, may you teach us, may you show us how to live for your kingdom this week. Uh, and whatever we need to obey, Lord, uh, give us the courage to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.